of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up on your program today, Corey Toth, founder of Deadly Science, a New South Wales young person of the year 2020, has just penned a new book. This book thinks you're deadly, a celebration of black excellence. The STEM advocate and author will join us to talk about this book, which features indigenous men and women who've done deadly things for the community. Also in the program today, we've got Living Black Scala Grant in conversation with uh, several guests about the biggest issue for First Nations people today, which is Indigenous Voice to Parliament. On NITV Radio today, we also bring you a couple of stories shared by NITV, including the decision by the AFL to back the yes vote in the upcoming referendum on Indigenous Voice to Parliament. All these stories and more coming to you on NITV Radio after the latest news. And today we are broadcasting from Nam on the Kulin Nation. Bertrand Tungandami Ngaya. I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. The ABC apologizes to Stan Grant after the Q&A host quit over racial abuse. Australia agrees to introduce further sanctions on Russia. And an Australian man dies on Mount Everest. ABC's managing director has apologized to Stan Grant over the broadcaster's handling of persistent racial abuse against the journalist. Grant is stepping away from his role hosting the Q&A program due to the barrage of racism he's copped, which has intensified since his involvement in the public broadcaster's coverage of the King's coronation. In an email to ABC staff, David Anderson says anti-ABC reporting from some commercial media outlets had been sustained and vitriolic and had real-world consequences for presenters and journalists. He's also acknowledged that Grant did not feel publicly supported by the ABC and has apologized for this. Meanwhile, SBS's NITV has announced it's suspending its its Twitter account, saying it's hard enough for the very for the everyday racism and hate on the platform. The dedicated channel for Indigenous Australians says Twitter is not a place it wants or needs to be, especially at a time when things are heavy enough. Threats against Grant had been referred to police, while a formal complaint had also been lodged with Twitter. 
The federal government is launching an information campaign on the upcoming Voice to Parliament referendum. The government says the neutral civics education campaign will give Australians everything they need to make an informed decision at the referendum. Minister for Indigenous Australians Linda Burney says the program should reach audiences of every background and provide translations in several languages. It will include television and radio commercials sounding like this. Australia is having a conversation about the referendum being held later this year. So what's it about? It's about whether we should change the constitution to recognise the First Peoples of Australia by setting up an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. The voice will be a permanent body. And it'll give independent advice to the parliament and government on matters that affect First Nations people. Be ready for the conversation. Visit voice.gov.au. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. Police have shot dead an Indigenous man in Brisbane's north on Sunday. In response to a domestic violence call, the police officer discharged three shots at a 29-year-old man. The police were called to the man's address after reports of a stabbing threat to a family member. Officers said they found a 53-year-old man with a deep cut to his hand and the 29-year-old with a knife. The Treasurer has insisted economic sanctions against Russia need to be robust. Australia agreed to introduce further sanctions on Russia at the G7 meeting over the weekend. The new sanctions target 21 entities including Russian petroleum companies and banks and three individuals as well as a ban on the export of all machinery and related parts to Russia. The sanctions against Russia need to be as robust as possible. Uh, we need to tighten the screws on Vladimir Putin and his cronies uh, who have engaged in this aggression uh, against the people of Ukraine. Uh, and the statement out of the G7 and statements that we have made previously recognise the fact that sanctions do give us the opportunity to tighten the screws on that regime. Uh, in order to do that, we need to make sure that they're as robust as possible. An Australian climber has died on Mount Everest, becoming the 10th fatality on the world's tallest peak this season. 40-year-old South Australian Jason Bernard Kennison, who died, who'd lived in Perth, passed away after becoming unresponsive at the summit on Friday. Mr Kennison's father says he was informed by police of his son's death. Buy now, pay later schemes like Afterpay will now face tougher restrictions under new rules introduced by the government. The schemes will now be treated as credit products under changes to the National Consumer Credit Act to help protect consumers against financial abuse. Financial Services Minister Stephen Jones says such schemes could be a danger to consumers because up until now they have been largely unregulated and unchecked. Today the Albanese government is announcing that we intend to bring buy now pay later into the National Consumer Credit Act. What will that mean for consumers? Well it will mean that the responsible lending obligations that apply to every other credit product will now apply to the buy now pay later sector. It means before somebody is offered a buy now pay later product they must go through suitability and affordability checks. A New South Wales experiment allowing first home buyers to avoid substantial upfront costs is to end within weeks, but a replacement is in place.
The first home buyer choice initiative will be closed off to new entrants on the 1st of July, stopping eligible purchasers of property up to $1.5 million in the state from choosing between paying upfront stamp duty and an annual land tax. An average of 1,200 people per month have taken up the scheme since it was introduced in November. But the Minsk Labour government will this week fulfill an election promise by taking steps to end the scheme and lift stamp duty exemptions and concessions instead. The changes will, come the st- will cut the stamp duty bill on an 800000 property from $31,090 to zero and ensure some reduction applies to homes valued up to $1 million. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has touched down in Australia after three days of meetings with world leaders in Japan on the sidelines of the G7 summit. Mr Albanese met with US President Joe Biden for a bilateral meeting as well as in a Quad Leaders Forum alongside the Indian and Japanese Prime Ministers after the original summit in Sydney was cancelled. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi is still travelling to Australia and will land in Sydney today. He will, talk, he will hold talks with Mr Albanese as well as meet local Indian businesses in Homebush for the unveiling of a foundation stone at the entrance to Little India in Sydney's Harris Park. There, restaurant owner Suraj Panchal has created a dish in honor of Mr Modi. We've been very, very excited. We've been trying to, you know, pump up the momentum of everyone over here. Uh, so excited that, you know, uh, if, you know, the Indian Prime Minister walks in, in, in Harris Park, it will be a huge boost for the businesses over here. Saudi Arabia's first astronauts in decades rocketed towards the International Space Station on a chartered multi-million dollar flight. SpaceX launched the the ticket-holding crew led by a retired NASA astronaut now working for the company that arranged the trip. Also on board is a U.S. businessman who now owns a sports car racing team. They'll spend just over a week there before returning home with a splashdown off the Florida coast. Sponsored by the Saudi Arabian government, Rayana Banawi, a stem cell researcher, became the first woman from the kingdom to go to space. She was, she was joined by Ali Alkami, a fighter pilot with the Royal Saudi Air Force. Crowds gathered at the launch site to watch the rocket take off. Among them was Anne Richardson from London. At the beginning I was like really nervous and then when the flash went, it's like... There it goes, and it's just magic, you know. We watch it go up. Unfortunately, it's a bit cloudy, so we didn't see it go all the way up. Um, but, yeah, it was magical. It was amazing. And to spoil this shock after Jack Trebovich is ruled out of the State of Origin opener. The manly star has pulled out of Game 1 of the Interstate Series due to injury. He's said to be replaced by Bulldogs big man Tevita Pangai Jr. in a surprising Blues selection. Trubovic returned from a calf injury against the Raiders on Sunday and got through the game but pulled up sore and rolled himself out to New South Wales coach Brad Fittler. Pangai Jr., who was dropped to reserve grade just last year, will make his New South Wales debut in Game 1 on Wednesday week. Now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, sunny 28, Perth, partly cloudy 25, Adelaide, possible shower 17, Melbourne, partly cloudy 16, Hobart, cloudy 16, Albury, Wodonga, partly cloudy 13, Albert, 
Canberra, similar conditions on the top of 14. Wollongong, sunny 19. Sydney, also sunny in the top of 19. Newcastle, sunny 20 degrees. Brisbane, mostly sunny 22. Townsville, sunny 26. Keynes, partly cloudy 27. Alice Springs, sunny 20. Darwin, sunny 30 degrees. And the Torres Strait Islands, a mostly cloudy day, in the top of 29 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. I'm Petron Tungandami and you're listening to NITV Radio, broadcasting from NAM this Monday, May 22. In your program today, we'll talk about Corey Todd's new book, This Book Thinks You're Deadly, a celebration of black excellence. We see the making and significance of this book. And also in the program, Living Black Scholar Grant and her guests discuss Voice to Parliament. We also have stories shared with us by NITV, including the decision by the AFL to back the yes vote in the upcoming referendum on Indigenous Voice to Parliament. But before the program I began, I, sp- I spoke to Corey Tut about his uh, new book. And here is the conversation. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. This book, Thinks You're Deadly, is a new book by uh, Corey Tut. It's an inspirational illustrated compendium that celebrates the diversity and success of First Nations people. The book showcases the careers and Corey's personal stories of First Nations people who have done great things in their respective fields. Corey Toot, first of all, welcome to NITV Radio. And can you tell us about this book? This book thinks you're deadly. How did it come about? I kind of wanted to challenge myself. I'd previously written a lot of children's books and... You know, although they're highly detailed, the first scientists, I wanted to challenge myself about writing something other than science. I'm known as a deadly science man. You know, I had seen, you know, a lot of books where, you know, people had wrote about, um, you know, amazing people and First Nations people, but we never really had a book that, you know, celebrated black excellence in the way that, like, I kind of envisioned in my mind. And um, this book... We've got so many amazing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in our community and and a lot of them unfortunately couldn't make the book because the book would be so long if I wrote about everyone. And what I really wanted to do is I really wanted to capture the imagination of the reader so that they could get a bit of identity over, you know, it would have the DNA of a, of, a, of my books, like the Corrie Tut book, you know, but you'd go on a journey and you'd see why I thought all these amazing people were deadly but also... The way I've I've written it and articulated it is that when the reader reads about, you know, Chloe Quayle Barker, this amazing um, First Nations rapper, Barkindji rapper, um, or they read about um, Auntie Barb McGrady, who's been a mainstay of Redfern, or Auntie Beryl Vanopolo, um, they would see part of themselves in that person. And this book is really designed to inspire the reader um, to start thinking about why they're deadly. Um, and what makes them special. And the, my favourite part of the book is that once you go through it, you have this um, page, and, and I can't really take credit for the idea because it was actually my wife. 
who came up with this idea for the book, but you have this page at the end of the book where it's like you can put someone's photo in it and you can write actually why you think they're deadly. Um, the, the book becomes individualized. And for me, that's my favorite part of the book. Um, this book was completely written on airplanes whilst traveling to remote communities. So, you know, you got to pass the time somehow, but I just, I kept reflecting on all these incredible people and, and there was so many more people that that should have made the book, but, you know, just through constraints of like publishing, I couldn't put them in, but, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of this book. I, I think that it's something that will have legs beyond me as an author. And, and the goal for me is that hopefully this is something we can release every year. So there's another 70 people that are, are deadly that get, you know, that recognition. And, and I think over the last couple of days, I've seen people like, you know, Tanika Davis um, or Tanika Perry, you know, open up the book and show her kids, like, and just see the pride. Um, and when I see that and I, I see those videos and I see, um, you know, again, Chloe Quayle showing her children this book that she's in, that their mum is in, the pride on the kids' faces, the pride of her showing, uh, being so proud of being in a book, it makes it all worthwhile. Like, this is what I, like, you know, for me, I I do things to help other people, but with my career with Deadly Science, but the pride that I feel when, you know, I've helped create something along with Molly Hunt that has given people that pride and sense of, you know, wow, I've really achieved something by being in this book. It's just, you know, you can't really replicate that feeling in life artificially. It's it's really authentic. And as an artist, and I think if I can call myself an artist as an author, I think that that is a penultimate goal as an author to impact people in that way. I personally don't see it just as another illustrated book. To me, it's uh, more of a, a reference guide. You you said you couldn't put in all the uh, deadly people that came to your mind. Maybe there could be regular releases every year, kind of a guide for people to explore, to learn about all these legends in all walks of life, in academia, sports, health, arts, and music. So it would be a book for anyone wanting to learn about Indigenous excellence. Yeah, and, and you know, when I started writing the book, I had 600 names on there. It was... Probably the one of the most difficult things that I that I've had to do in the sense of writing the book was easy because all these amazing people they're very easy to write about because they inspire me and inspire other people in so many different ways. You know, I work in the I work in the field of social good, right, with deadly science, and I'm I'm providing all these books and um, you know resources off to these remote schools, but I'm often I often I often drag inspiration from other people and, and writing about people like Tony Armstrong and Ash Barty, um, community people like Arnie Beryl Van Oppelow, Ricky Walford, my cousin. You know, these are people that I just, I get energy from um, and they make me better every day. Um, and there's many more people like, you know, Uncle Bo Rambledini, who's from Macquarie Uni. Um, there's, you know, a bunch of other people in this in this space that, they inspire me as well. And, um, you know, like there is so much room for more editions of this book and, and different styles as well. And and one of the things I really I thought about when I wrote this book was, 
you know, I thought about, you know, I might write the next one, but maybe in a, a different First Nations author can write a version. And this can be a book that celebrates black excellence every day in this country. And, um, and, and it can be a reference guide, but it also can be a book that, you know, the people in this book can sit down with their families and maybe it's next month when it comes out or it's, you know, two years time or it's 10 years time or even a hundred years time. And they sit down and they read it together and they read about um, the stories and, and why they inspired people and, and they can celebrate that. So, you know, part of the reason part of the reason this book was to, you know, immortalize these people in their stories so they can inspire the next generation. And I think that it will do that. Um it's a bit surreal, my friend, when you um when you write a book and um you spend so much time on word and and this the story of I had a hundred thousand words this book that I'd written and I lost it all. Um wow. and then I started again. Yeah. Um, so I started again and I had to start again two or three times because I didn't want this book to sound Wikipedia-ish. I didn't want it to sound like it was just a bio. Um, I wanted to add my DNA to that story because, um, I think that, you know, authentic storytelling is the best type of storytelling because, um, it really takes the journey, the, the reader on a journey. And that's what I really wanted. And, uh, the people you profile, did you have a chance to spend time with them and, uh, collect their stories? Yeah, most certainly so. So, um, everyone in the book has played a role in, in writing this book and, and telling the, their story as well. So everyone was contacted and, um, the the two that were, I guess, the most emotional for me was um, I'd spoken to Uncle Jack Charles just before he passed away. You know, I'd, I'd gotten his story down and then uh, he he had passed away whilst I was on my honeymoon. <laughs> um, and it was it was incredibly sad for me because I, I really admired him. Um, I was grateful for the time he gave me. The other person was Uncle Archie Roach, who obviously had passed away whilst I was writing the book as well. Um, but from that, I've been able to develop quite a close friendship with his with his son and his family to immortalise him as well. And and you know everyone everyone who knows Uncle Roach, Archie Roach and and Uncle Jack Charles, you know, are incredibly inspired by their story and and they're celebrated members of our community. But to you know, for me, it was quite an emotional time writing about them because um, they were two men, two uncles that I greatly looked up to and they were incredible people. And, you know, and again, the journey of going through all these names and writing them and, and having the stories and and people were dropping in and dropping out of the book and, and, and for various different reasons, um, I really rode the wave of emotions um, of, you know, working with people. They say never work with people or animals and I've done both. So um, I think people are pretty great. Um, so it was, it was a really great, it was a great thing to, you know, talk to Adam Goods or talk to um, Bianca Hunt or, you know, every person in this book just gave me their time and they were honoured to be part of it. And it just, it made it more special um, writing it because the fact that they were proud that someone was writing about them and, and they were happy to be in the book um, really meant the world to me. Yeah. You've mentioned some towering figures there and uh, 
the book included many unsung heroes and living legends, the likes of uh, Ray Kelly or Briggs, just to mention a couple of them. Uh, even Briggs is in the book. and um, so- Yeah, love, love um, Ray and Briggs. I think, you know, even people like um, Arnie Deb Walford, who cooks at every Curry knockout, cooks at every funeral, every sorry business in Walgett, always moves heaven and earth to make people feel accepted and wanted. And, and she just oozes just love for pe- her people and, and community. And I think that having people like Ray in there, also Kylie Captain, um, these people that are, are just sort of on the, the lesser known side in with people like um, Tony Armstrong and Ash Barty and, and Nova Paris and Kathy Freeman, it really does honour those people in the way that they should be honoured. And I think that, like I said, there's people like Uncle Dave Bell who, you know, he's out at out at Campbelltown who I, if there's a second version of this book, um, I would put him in 100%. But, you know, I, I had a limited amount of space that I could use on this occasion. Um, and I really wanted people to to celebrate the the lesser known people, your Arnie Beryls, your Arnie Deb Welfords, your Carly Captains, all these incredible people, the I Am movement. The book, I think, is it's only a, a chapter of many books. And I hope that the book goes well enough that we can continue to celebrate what's great in our community. And, and Australians can celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and they don't necessarily have to be um, on the sporting field, they can be for what they do outside of their field. So um, for me, you know, Greg Inglis is doing a lot of really great stuff with the Goanna Academy at the moment, advocating for mental health. There's um, Dallas Woods, who's a hip-hop artist who, you know, he's probably one of the most inspiring um, young Australians that, or young Aboriginal men that there is because he he's not only creating fantastic mu- music but he's he's encouraging young aboriginal men and young black men to talk about their mental health we don't have enough men talking about that kind of stuff so the fact that he's doing that and he's leading in that way um i think is so noble and underrated and i'm just so glad that i could put him in the book and and tell that side of dallas woods because he did, everyone needs to hear it and that's part of my conversation with Deadly Science founder, New South Wales Young Person of the Year 2020, talking about his latest book, This Book Thinks You're Deadly, A Celebration of Black Excellence. Now, if you missed part of this conversation and w- want to listen to it again, we just want to hear the full story. You can find it on our website, sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. You're with NITV radio. And now an excerpt from a special edition of Living Black, Australia's longest-running Indigenous current affairs program, as the show was celebrating its 20th anniversary last month. The show was dedicated to the most important issue for First Nations people today, Indigenous Voice to Parliament. The special program featured Noel Pearson, Ken Wyatt, Lydia Thorpe, Dean Weeders, Jackie Lambie and Carla Grant's family and colleagues. In today's selection, Living Black co-founder, Living Black founder, not co-founder, she's the founder and presenter, Carla Grant, starts with a question to Torres Strait Islander actor and media personality, Aaron Fauso. Aaron, what are your expectations of a voice? Do you think getting it up and running will be good for the nation? 
Well, I think um, if it's if it's about improving the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, I'm, I'm for the voice. Um, I'll support the voice. It can only be a positive um, because we've seen time and time again where you know a lot of these legislations or, or, or policies have all the processes have actually being used to be weaponised against our own people and coming from the Torres Strait region and knowing that those types of processes have not improved the lives for our people if I talk about the Torres Strait region specifically. Mm-hmm. Karen, RA's barometer reports an increase in racial prejudice over the last four years. What is driving this? I think we've got better at understanding what racism and racial prejudice is and I think there are more people that are actually stepping up and calling it out and seeing that at a, at a national level. And there are also other Australians who are stepping into that space and calling it out as well. And I think that's a positive even though the number suggests it's a negative. Do you think this rise in racism will impact upon the referendum result? I think there's a real challenge for us. There's a lot of people who have questions out there about what is it, what does it mean? But I keep going back to our other data that says when we have 80% of Australians and nearly 80% plus of First Nations people who believe in this, who see the value and can see how this could work practically, that's what I trust in. And it's also the trust that I have in the thousands of people that work in reconciliation action plan organisations, people who want to see change, and that's what I believe in. Australians want to see change, they want to see things to be better, and that's what I think will get us over the line. Dean Witters, welcome. Uh, Since retiring from first grade rugby league, you've embraced cultural revival as a way to combat racism. Why do you think reports of racism are on the rise? I mean, we're seeing it on the football field all the time. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's down to the courage of our players and the understanding that they have as role models in the community. I think in this country, there's a real lack of understanding about what racism is. And there's underlying racism, covert racism, um, unconscious bias it exists at a, a maximum level in this country. And our players understand you know, that they're the voice for the people out there and they, they've got to stand up. Well, what's your view on the voice? Um, I haven't got a, a, a view on the voice right now. And I think this is the, the alarming thing for everyone out there is um, you'll see national sporting bodies like the NRL um, support the voice. But our players still have a lack of understanding about what happens in it. And I'm with a lot of uh, Aboriginal people out there. We want to see action. We want to see change. You know, Legislation has always had a tricky way um, of working with our people where we end up more disadvantaged um, than what we were to start with. So um, I'm a little bit sceptical about it. Um, I need to be informed more about what the change will be. And I want to see it make a real difference to the lives of our people. Um, and the other thing too that our, a lot of our people out there don't trust is the hand-picked and, and people being selected for us. So, you know, we're, we're a, a massive country and we're very different and diverse in, in, in how we represent our people. And I think the processes need to be clear to people out there so that they can trust the process before they'll be for a voice. Mm. Ken Wyatt, you come from a very large family, First Nations family in Western Australia. What are they saying to you about The Voice? Are they critical or onside? Actually, they're onside, but they're also asking the same, making the same comment as Dean just outlined. That is, give us some more detail and let us see the changes that are going to come with it because policies of the past 
have in fact worked against us. Can you forecast which way the West will go, uh, for or against The Voice? If I look at the polling that was shown in the West Australian recently, WA is slightly in favour. There's a lot of work we have to do across this nation if we are to succeed on that double bind. Jackie, Tasmania is a battleground state. How do you think Tasmanians will vote? Um, I think uh, part of the reason down there is um, the lack of detail, once again, asking us to vote on something without any detail. Um, we're already in our own mob wars down there, which is not helpful where we are today. So neither sides uh, want the voices, what they're telling me. Um, so I just, I think it just depends on what the next six months looks like. But giving it detail and showing us that it's not just some pretty words and that action's going to be taken will be extremely meaningful for a positive result in all of this. Mm. Karen, while it may be difficult in some states, are Australians in general ready to change the constitution? I think we're definitely ready for change. Uh, there's a lot more work to be done to explain, to flesh out what this means, what it looks like, and absolutely how does this change things in communities? Because at the end of the day, that's what's most important. But I do think we're ready for a change, and I think if we get those education pieces right, if we can have those yarns and conversations that flesh out and answer the questions that people are reasonably asking, then I think we'll get there. Lydia, do you ever worry about what a loss at the referendum would mean for First Nations people? I'm more concerned about how many people we've lost. I'm more concerned about how many people we continue to lose and that the governments of the day in every state and territory can implement the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody and they can implement the recommendations into the Bringing Them Home report. Both Labor, Liberal have failed to do that for decades and decades and decades. The white Australian constitution was set up to destroy us it never included us and it never included women. So now they want to include us in a way that gives us no power. I just think that we've come too far to take rations again, like on the mission and the trinkets, when we can be looking for treaty and going for treaty, which will give this country a new identity once and for all and give us power that we should have in our own country. Well, Aaron, I'll go back to you. As the campaign towards the referendum gains momentum, are you concerned this campaign may get ugly? What's your advice for, for our people to stay strong? I think uh, the last thing we, we want is, is for things to get ugly. And I think, um, you know, I think it's just always remembering, you know, where we come from, being having that pride in our culture, pride in our people. And, and I think, you know, leaning on... Leaning on those, you know, um, in, into the humour as well, because I think throughout the last, you know, 200 years or so of, of whilst, you know, that there has been atrocities throughout history, I think it's the that resilience of family, community, the strength of that is what we lean upon and not forgetting that as well, um, but also just leaning into the humour that, that has also been a big part of, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture. And <clears throat> I want to really kind of thank you, Carla, for the last 20 years. 
um, in the way that, you know, you've been able to go in our in homes, um, you know, and, and speak about some real truths that occur in our communities uh, and being able to amplify and elevate those stories. Uh, I know your, your beautiful daughter is here as well, um, and I, and I believe that she would like to say a few things. Yeah. So over to you, Luana. Thank you, Aaron. Mum, on behalf of like our family, uh, John, Dylan, um, Bronnie's here as well. We just want to say congratulations for 20 years of living black and we've got you some beautiful flowers. <laughs> Thank you. And that was Carla Grant and uh, her guests and uh, family discussing Voice to Parliament in a special edition of uh, Living Black. Now you can watch all episodes of uh, the, Living Black, the Living Black program on SBS On Demand. NITV Radio, share our stories on Facebook. Welcome back. And now to our selection of stories shared by uh, NITV. The Australian Football League and Rugby Australia have become the latest major sporting codes to back the Indigenous voice to Parliament. The code, the codes, join a growing list of elite sports pushing for a year's vote in this year's referendum. It came ahead of the AFL's Indigenous round, which kicked off in Melbourne last Friday night. Emma Kellaway reports. A cohort of footy's finest First Nations players taking to the field to kick off a weekend of celebration. I always look forward to, you know, dream time of the G. It's a great round to celebrate Indigenous culture, so, yeah, looking forward to it. Each club sporting their own uniquely designed Guernsey for the Indigenous round, honouring the contribution of First Nations players. It's about bringing everyone together and, yeah, the jumpers really have a good story behind them and just learning different story for different clubs is kind of cool. The AFL taking that recognition beyond the field, throwing its support behind an Indigenous voice to Parliament. Uh, the AFL Commission announced today that we will um, be supporting the voice to Parliament. We feel like we've got a role to play in at least helping the country have a better understanding of the fact that we are going to a referendum this year. It's the kind of support Indigenous players have been fighting for long before the referendum was announced. In 2004, Essendon legend Michael Long set off on a walk from Melbourne to the steps of Parliament in Canberra, calling for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voices to be heard. This year, the former Bombers player hopes those efforts will contribute to a yes vote. The referendum is really important this year for Aboriginal people, so hopefully this is another step. Um, and this is what we were talking about 19 years ago. Where, where's the love for Aboriginal people? But also, more importantly, where's the voice and vision? Making headlines too, Rugby Australia taking out a full-page ad as well as releasing the statement on social media, 500 words explaining why they support a yes vote in the referendum, saying if we're ever going to achieve true union as a nation, we must take every opportunity to close the gap. An Indigenous voice to Parliament is long overdue. Let's get this over the line. As codes unite under the banner of one voice. Emma Kellaway, NITV News. A four day songwriting camp in Sydney has brought together some of Australia's top Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists. Resonate is an Indigenous led initiative which aims to invest in the development of First Nations music industry talent. Achola Rock has more. An ode in his mother tongue. The lyrics tell the story of planet Venus crying out for attention. 
Michael Laurie, better known by his stage name Man Yung, is a proud Aboriginal man with strong connections to Gumbanga and Yagal nations. His music echoes the voices that have inspired him. I just wanted to kind of pay homage to our, our old song people and, and work in this space of how I can blend traditional songs in a contemporary way. The program brings together 12 First Nations artists from all around the country and at all levels of their careers. For Luke Peacock, the space is an opportunity to connect and create. To be able to really kind of do an intensive focus on just being creative without the pressure, it's, it's been amazing. And we all have our own flair, which is really nice, and I think traditionally that's how we operated in that sense of walking country, coming together, sharing songs. The potential fostered in the program is reflected in the new music produced by the end of the camp. Folk mixed with hip-hop, you know, traditional language with like R&B sound, like mob transcend genre. That's really reflective in what we're about to listen to. As more First Nations artists take the music industry by storm, programs like this provide a gaze into the future. Achola Rock, NITV News. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. Patron Tungendami, I am Patron Tungendami, thanking you for staying with us this afternoon. Till next time, bye for now. Yalook.